It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Programme. Here's your host. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone. And Genesee Health Plan can help. I called and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, healthcare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together and together we'll get through it. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're celebrating Schlocktober with Tom Sumner. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy caught in a landslide? No escape from reality. Open your eyes. Look up to the skies and see. I'm just a poor boy. I need no sympathy. Cause I'm easy come, easy go Little high, little low Any way the wind blows Doesn't really matter to me To me Mama Just kill a man Put a gun against his head Pulled my trigger Now he's dead Mama Life had just begun But now I've gone and thrown it all away Mama Didn't mean to make you cry this time tomorrow Carry on, carry on As if nothing really matters Too late My time has come Sends shivers down my spine Body's aching all the time. 
Goodbye, everybody. I've got to go. Gotta leave you all behind and face the truth. Mama. Oh. I sometimes wish I'd never been born at all. I see a little silhouette of a man. Scaramouche, Scaramouche, will you do the fandango? Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and uh, we uh, open and close uh, each show throughout the month of October with uh, Schlocktober 2020. And I've been trying to showcase some some new pieces. I've been doing this for well over 10 years, and uh, 
been using a lot of the same songs every year as we celebrate Schlocktober. William Shatner is certainly a regular, but uh, something new. I was surprised to see that he'd tackled uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. I, I told somebody on Facebook, I think it's the new Lucy in the Skies, which is one we've played every year. And, and I actually have had a request for that, so we probably will squeeze that one in sometime uh, this month. And um, But we've got a great show today. We're going to shift gears and uh, move off of uh, Schlocktober, a different odd and horrible recording each day. While everybody is celebrating Rocktober and Shocktober, we celebrate Schlocktober on the Tom Sumner program. But we have some great guests coming up, um, including uh, somebody featured in the Rick Riordan imprint um, with a new book called Tristan Strong Destroys the Universe. It's his first book in a uh, what what promises to be, I think, a three-part series, and uh, it's written by um, Kwame Mbalia. And then, like I said, we've got a really packed show uh, coming up uh, after uh, Kwame. We have uh, a contributing writer to National Geographic Kids' uh, new offering, Girls Ken, and um, her name is uh, Tora Shea Pruden. And then, um, and then we'll move on to uh, the. Um, oh, let me see if I can find it. Um, oh yeah, the uh, senior oceans advisor from Greenpeace, uh, Andy Shen, will be talking about uh, a new Department of Labor report that, uh, for the first time, has uh, tapped Taiwan, uh, caught tuna boats as um, having, uh, well, listed, um, added to their list for 2020 of goods produced by child labor and forced labor. Interesting conversation coming up with Andy Shen. And then we wrap it all up in the third half of our three-hour tour with uh, podcaster-turned-author Roman Mars. His uh, podcast, 99% Invisible, has uh, had over 400 million downloads, but he's now um, got a book called The 99% Invisible City, A Field Guide to the Hidden World of Everyday Design. So we got uh, lots going, but let's uh, let's get right into it with uh, Kwame Mbalia coming up straight ahead. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is the New York Times bestselling author of Tristan Strong Punches a Hole in the Sky, for which he received a Coretta Scott King Author Honor Award. And um, that was the first in the trilogy. He now has uh, the second in the trilogy, um, called Tristan Strong Destroys the World. It's being presented by best-selling author Rick Ryden. We'll talk about, uh, Ryden rather, and we'll talk about what that means in just a moment with author Kwame Mbalia, who joins me now by phone. Kwame, welcome to the show. Good morning, Tom. Thank you for having me. Um, when you started uh, the Tristan Trilogy, uh, did, it, did, did you start out knowing it was going to be a trilogy? Not at all, actually. Uh, this originally it sold as a uh, as a two book deal, and so it, it was it was one of those things where you know you kind of 
you have to shape the story and so that it could possibly end at any time. Uh, maybe not a, a super huge um, character arc, uh, an overarching story. Um, but I mean, I was thrilled to learn that it would turn into a trilogy. I mean, I think all all writers, you know, you know, want to, or most writers, I would say, want to to see that the readers really enjoy and really want to see more of of the stories. I'm I'm always curious when I when I talk to writers, uh, Kwame, uh, about about that because I, I wonder if you get to the end of a book and go, but wait, there's more. <laughs> um, it's 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 a difficult balance, balancing act, I think, where it's like you want to uh, tell a a story that is complete, but you also want to tell a story that. If you know, you leave the opportunity for for um, for the story to be expanded, or at least the idea that it could be expanded. You know, you don't close. You know, you don't you know tie up every loose end. You don't um, cut off every arc. You leave a little bit of, of exploration there. Um, now, I assume that since the book is out, that you're already working on book three. If you haven't completed a first draft already is that true <laughs> that that is absolutely true i am you know uh trying to close off the story in a satisfactory way you know you don't want to you try not to, to disappoint readers but you want to um bring give you want to give the hero justice you want to give tristan you want to give the gods you want to give the characters that he meets along the way you want to give them their own ending that's satisfactory and 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 feel, you know you close the book you close the trilogy and you kind of you know the reader sits back and goes you know that was a great story and and the reason that i that i asked that kwame was to to get at this and and that is um what makes this a trilogy as opposed to an ongoing series and if it if it doesn't become an ongoing series are you anxious to develop new characters um i really you know i really think it is um both readership and a, a combination of both readership and the writer that that determines whether or not it's a trilogy versus an ongoing series i mean if there's i think we've seen before that if there's enough interest in something um, there, there are calls, you know, to bring back a story, to revisit a world that readers fell in love with. Sometimes it happens, you know, sometimes, you know, fan appreciation and vocal, you know, support can really help to, to continue a series. But then there are also times where, you know, as a writer, um, you're like, I don't know if I could do the, the characters any more justice than what I already did. Sometimes a writer knows when, the story is complete. Um, maybe for those characters, maybe not in that world. Uh, but you know, I have I have other books that I am going to write that have been announced, and it is. Um, I would love to continue Tristan's story, but sometimes you know, it's it's we have to sit back and be like, you know, that was Tristan's tale. It's time to move move on to others. More with New York Times best-selling author Kwame Mbalia straight ahead.
And now out there, everybody, it's me, Tigger, T-I-Double-G-R, that spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Your calls matter. Join me and Andrea weekdays from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern to talk about whatever you want to talk about. The Tom Sumner Program has open phone lines Monday through Friday to hear from you. How's 2020 working out for you so far? How about those damn roads? Call in live at 810-339-8255. It's all about you. We'll be streaming live at TomSumnerProgram.com and simulcast on WFOV 92.1 FM in Flint. Foil hats are optional. You thought you had every Elvis record made, but wait, Elvis sings again, this time from heaven. That's right, Elvis from heaven. Yes, hear Elvis from Graceland in the Sky, soul-stirring versions of epic proportions. You'll hear Elvis crooning, Pearly Gate Rock, all dug up, lying in the chapel, and 11 others. This record also includes a special Elvis message. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Elvis Presley. Order before midnight tonight and receive this Elvis Presley commemorative casket keychain. Open it up. Yes, the king inside. A must for any Elvis fan. Order yours today. To order your Elvis from Heaven, send $9.95 in checker money order to Elvis from Heaven, P.O. Box 714, Cleo, Michigan, 44487. Or save COD charges and phone 555-5554. Use Master Charge or Visa, Canadian Residence, add $3.
Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Tom Sumner program.com The Tom Sumner program.com This is Congressman Dan Kildee and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. More with New York Times best-selling author Kwame Mbalia straight ahead. What was it that made you as a writer want to send Tristan Strong into the land of African-American folk heroes and African gods? I mean, I've, I've always wanted to write a story that um, contained the characters that I grew up reading and listening to. When I was younger, uh, I, I tell this story all the time, um, I, you know, me and my three siblings, you know, we grew up together, and for a time there, we all shared one bedroom when we were young. And Where? so, you know, you get four, four kids in a bedroom, uh, trying to go to sleep, it can be it can be really difficult. So <laughs> it, it's like I, uh, it, it's like a uh, it's like being at camp. Um, where did you grow up? In Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Okay. Mhm, mhm. And and my parents would uh, they would put on tale, uh, Nazi tales on a cassette player, and we would listen ah. to that, and that's what we would fall asleep to. Gotcha. Um, and so I, I wanted to bring these characters forward um, and and help them uh, explore a contemporary world. And that's why I was really, really fortunate that I was able to write on the Rick Riordan imprint because seeing the, you know, The Lightning Thief, uh, which was one of my favorite books growing up, reading The Lightning Thief and seeing how Rick Riordan put Greek mythology into a contemporary frame really helped me um, uh, uh, see that it was possible to understand the ways that you could do that. And that's what I tried to do with Tristan meeting John Henry, meeting Anansi, meeting Burr Rabbit, and so on. And, uh, you know, when you when you mention Anansi, I think of that as being kind of a historical reference. And, and you know, I can imagine you and your, your siblings listening to cassette tapes but now there's an app for that <laughs> thanks to um anansi uh, being a web developer in tristan's phone yeah that was that was uh <laughs> yeah, some, some, sometimes as a writer you you know you see something and it's right there it's it's you know you can't not make that happen and and when i when i you know, uh, and where, when Anansi, you know, ends up uh, where he ends up, trying to keep it vague for people who might not have read book one, but when Anansi ends up where he ends up, and and uh, I'm like, well, what can he do now in, in Tristan's world? What what can he help with? And then, you know, I'm, I'm browsing and I see a web developer, and I'm like, you know what, that is just... That is just too perfect. I cannot make, you know, I cannot not make Anansi a web developer. I just think that's such a cool upgrade, <laughs> and and good and good for you. Um, how did you attract the attention of Rick Riordan? And and, and I want to just say parenthetically here, best-selling Rick Riordan uh, has been on the show uh, several times talking about his own book or his own books, rather. And and now he's lending his name and brand to um, a diverse group of writers that are telling really global stories. And and how did you capture Rick's attention, Kwame? 
Um, well, so what what happened really is that uh, we heard, you know, I've, I've been a fan of, of Rick Riordan forever, uh, and he, he started this imprint, you know, um, launched with Arusha, um, The Storm Runner, Sal and Gabby, Dragon Pearl, all of which are books that I devoured. Uh, and when we heard that uh, Rick was, Rick and the imprint were looking for African-American tales, you know, this is something I was like, you know, we, you can't not, you know, submit. And, and, <laughs> and that's something that I tell to, to young writers um, and aspiring authors everywhere. And that um, the very first uh, gatekeeper that you will run into will be yourself. You know, they'll tell you, oh, I can't, you know, submit to this. They'll never pick me. Oh, I'll never win. Oh, I'll never get published. And we have to overcome that mindset to put our work out there because, you know, nobody's going to say yes if you tell yourself no first. Um, so I wrote uh, three chapters and a synopsis, I think, over the course of a week or so and, and, and sent it off. And it turns out they loved it. Um, and it just so happened that, that those chapters included uh, what would become the, um, the, the fan favorite the gum baby break-in scene. Uh, and um, they... they, they you know, basically, they said they adored it, and and that been, that was it ever since. Well, let, let me let me ask you this because we haven't really talked about this too much. The the book itself and and the trilogy itself features uh, a main character, Tristan Strong. Can can you tell us a little bit about Tristan and, and where that character comes from, and and um and and maybe give us a little synopsis of of uh, the tales of Tristan. <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, Tristan is, uh, he's a young African-American boy. He's in, uh, he's a seventh grader, what we call a rising eighth grader, meaning after the summer he'll be in eighth grade. Um, and he is dealing with grief. Uh, he has, at the beginning of book one, he has lost his best friend um, who died very suddenly. And, and so Tristan is dealing with that, trying to learn how to cope with that and process that. And um, we don't always process things, you know, trauma like that in a healthy manner. And in one of his fits of anger, he, you know, he accidentally uh, rips open a hole into a different realm where African-American folktales and West African gods coexist. Um, and Tristan has to, you know, fight to get his, you know, to get home. Um, and Tristan, the character, uh, about... <clears throat> About six months before I started writing the book, my father passed away. Mm. And so um, being able to write about Tristan processing his grief and the ways in which he did it helped me and also helped, you know, my daughters um, go through that at the time to understand what, what grief looked like and that you don't really, you know, everyone says, you know, you'll get over something. Uh, you'll get over it. Well, you don't, you don't really get over grief. What happens is, you get along with it. You learn how to uh, carry it with you in ways and still, and still go about your life. You never, you never get over it. You never forget about it. It's always there. And that's something that Tristan learns through the course of book one and, uh, uh, and book two as well. Well, and, you know, as we, as we grow up, uh, all of us at some point experience the loss of parents and grandparents and that just seems part of life and and part of the world but you have Tristan 
losing a close friend, which puts it into his world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that seems like it would be a, a different kind of grief. It, it isn't so much just learning about life, but suffering a real loss in your own little circle. Yes, yes. And that's. I think that's important. I think it is important to show, you know, like we, my father, we knew that he was, um, uh, wasn't long for, for, for this world, for his life. Uh, you know, we knew, you know, he knew, and we would talk about that. Um, and so I, you know, it, it still hurt, but we were prepared. Um, losing someone unexpectedly, losing someone young, losing someone at the early stages of what should be a long and, and well-lived life, um, it's a difficult thing to come to terms with, and it really throws a lot of your previously held notions into stark contrast with reality. And so it's, it can be a harsh lesson, um, but I don't think it is a lesson that we should avoid teaching, right? I think it gotcha. is important to both highlight the grief and to highlight the joy. We have to show our young readers and our, the, the children and, the, and the, the young people in our lives that there are two sides to this coin and then give them the strategies to help them cope with it. Now, you, um, you know, talked about uh, listening to Anansi on cassette uh, at night to go to sleep when you were young. Um, But uh, now that you're looking at the world of of African-American folk heroes in general and African gods, did you have to do a lot of research or were you already pretty well versed in that world? Um. I would say that my parents did an incredible job of kind of laying the foundation. They would scour um, all bookstores looking for stories um, about African-American culture, about African culture. Uh, And so I had some idea, you know, I had some idea of the characters and of the tales that I wanted to include. But, you know, you still have to do more, more research. And so I would look for the works of different, you know, oral historians. I would look for, you know, Virginia Hamilton. I would look for Zora Neale Hurston. I would look for Henry Louis Gates Jr., all, uh, all of which who collected, you know, they would travel around and would collect the oral stories and then would transcribe them, you know, for readers. Um, and, in a lot of situations, you know, those stories would differ from depending on where you, you would read them from region to region, which I think was one of the beauties about writing about folk tales is in that it's not about being 100% accurate about the story, but it is about capturing the character and capturing the moral and the theme of the story. And so, yes, I had to do, I had to do a lot of research. And, and you know what? Some of that research was just, calling, you know, relatives, calling, you know, older friends and just listening to them tell stories. Because at the end of the day, you know, this book is about is about stories and about the stories that we tell and choose to share. And um, I like to call it a book about storytelling. Um, and I love listening to the audio book because then you really get to hear the story come to life as if you were sitting in front of a fire hearing an accomplished storyteller. That's an interesting, uh, an interesting point. I just recently took a long drive, a long road trip, and um, 
I was listening to some old radio shows, and to me, there's nothing more intimate than having a story told to you the way you described, you know, falling asleep to uh, Anansi tales. Um, when you were growing up in Milwaukee, did the fact that your parents, and kudos to them for sharing all of these uh, stories and encouraging you to learn about these things, but um, in the course of, of being versed in African-American folklore, did you find that, um, you know, that that the, the kids you grew up with when you were in school and so on, um, did you ever have occasion to, to learn that they're hearing very different stories, and, and what was that like? <clears throat> um, I think... As as a child, I think one something that happens quite frequently is you exchange stories, right? Are you um, yeah, it can be something simple, you know. Uh, what did you do last night, or what did you do over the weekend? Um, it could be a joke or something funny that you heard, but you're you're constantly exchanging stories, and you know, yeah. So I would I would uh, share stories that that um, I was familiar with or that I had heard and swap them with other children. And, and so, yeah, from a very young age, I knew that my parents were exposing me to, 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 to different stories and uh, uh, trying to expand the source of the story so that we're not always just getting them from one spot. Um, but I think, I think that's a wonderful thing. I think it's a beautiful thing because being able to exchange, you know, and yeah, sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll get laughed at. Like, I've never heard that. That's, that's, you know, that's <laughs> silly or whatever. Um, but I, that's, all, that's always, I think that's a part of growing up is, is, you know, exchanging something, learning something new. And whether or not it is appreciated at that time, basically what you're doing is you are exchanging seeds. Right, and at the yeah. same time, they will sprout. They can sprout right away, or you know, uh, twenty, you know, two decades later, when you read a book that comes out, you're like, oh my goodness, I, I heard about this as a child, but I never really got to explore these stories. And, and what was the turning point for you um, from telling stories that you'd heard? to telling stories that you made up? Man, uh, I think, I mean, so I've always been a writer. Um, I've always tried to be a storyteller. Now, the stories that I told, maybe they weren't that that great, but I've always tried to be um, a storyteller. My mother, my mother would tell you that I would keep notebooks and write, you know, half-formed stories inside, you know, little scenes inside of them. A, set, a songwriter um, friend of mine has a bunch of notebooks with little ideas in it. He calls his boneyard. It, listen, <laughs> I think every creative person has something like that. It could be a, a Google Doc. It could be, you know, a collection of, you know, my mother has sticky notes. You know, it could be a, yeah, anything, but you, you're capturing ideas, some of them which, you know, will never see the light of day some of them which don't get a chance to grow, and others which might be combined into something new. Um, I had children, and, you know, I didn't play tales for them on a cassette like I listened to, but sometimes before bed I would just tell them, you know, a silly story, just make it up on the go. And really, um, 
I think there's no no greater joy than being able to tell my children a story and see them laugh and then have them come up to me the next day and be like, hey, can we can we listen to another ver- another story like that, you know, tonight? I think that is one of the the biggest uh, um, accomplishments that I can I can feel as a storyteller. Kwame, are you a real disciplined writer? Do you do you have uh, a set time every day, a set amount of uh, uh, material that that you want to produce each day, and do you follow outlines, or do you get an idea for a story and then you just start binge writing, and it's almost as if the story is being told to you? Um. I would say it's the latter. I'm I'm more of an organic writer. You know, I I I try to come up with outlines, and and to some extent I do. You know, I have an idea of where I'm going and, and what I want to write. Um, but it's really you know the story. It, I've always said that when I try to plan out the story, um, I feel as if I'm being robbed because I want to read the story as I'm writing it. It feels fresh to me as I'm sitting down and writing it. I'm not exactly sure what characters might say to each other. It just happens spontaneously on the page. And sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's good, but that's what revision is for, to go back and fix it. Um, <laughs> as far as time as far as far time goes, I would love to say that I have a set time every day, uh, but we recently added a new addition to the house. My, my wife uh, delivered a, a baby. Uh, we have a four-month-old. Oh, congratulations, so, Kwame. <laughs> thank you. You... <laughs> You just snatch time as it comes. You know, we can't really, you know, have a set time. It's got to be, uh, I've got 30 minutes to an hour here uh, where the baby is asleep, the kids are doing homework. Let me see if I can get a few words down. Um, Kwame, you said you've always been a writer and at the very least always been a storyteller, but um, was there ever a, a thought of doing something else? Um, I mean, I, I say that I've always been a writer. That wasn't my career. You know, I'm a scientist by trade. I went to school for biology and I, I, you know, that's for the bulk of my life. That's what I did. However, writing was, was how I, uh, uh, dealt with emotions, you know, as a child, writing was how I expressed myself, you know, throughout my life. And so, um, I really didn't think that I could be a published author until six, you know, five or six years ago. Um, and I, I say that to say that you never know when you'll become an author. You'll never know when, you know, you'll publish a book. You know, it can happen at a very, very early age. And you know that that's what you're going to do. Um, but it can happen at a later stage in life. And so I always thought I'd just be a scientist. I thought I'd work at a lab bench or I would travel around and, and, and go to different labs and stuff like that. And I would just write for fun. I was just writing for fun up to five or six years ago. For um, for a lot of writers, well, for all writers, it's a very solitary process. Um, but then there's the promotion part of it. Um, do you enjoy uh, the interaction with people and getting feedback from people who have read your work? I do, and I think the uh, what I love to do most, and it's unfortunate that because of the pandemic, we're we're limited to this. Yeah, this um, is a tough time to do. It is, it is, um, because I love to travel and do school visits. 
I love talking to young readers. I love reading portions of the book to them um, and seeing their reaction and taking their questions. Um, because, you know, I can guarantee you at the end of every session, I will get a question that's like, you know, I was thinking about writing, how can I, you know, or what can I do to become a writer? And I love encouraging and, and supporting young writers, you know, and telling them that, yes, it might be a little difficult at times, but uh, there is a path forward for you and never give up on that creativity. Um, Kwame, the, uh, for, for people listening who are maybe curious in learning more about um, you and, and your work, past, present, and future, but, but also who maybe want to dig down some more on African-American folktales, um, do you have a website and are there some resources that you would recommend? I do have a, a website. It is kwamiambalia.com. Uh, and I am actually working on a set of resources that I will publish to the website, um, listing out some of the sources that I used and some of the um, different tales that uh, I encourage readers to go uh, read, share, and pay attention to because they might show up in the Tristan Strong series. Uh, so that's kwamiambalia.com. And that's you know that's where you'll find me, um, Kwame. It's uh, it's a real pleasure talking with you, and and I I just can't help wondering since uh, the the trilogy is all but done. Although the the current book is actually book two, um, which of course is uh, Tristan Strong destroys the world by Kwame Mbalia. The um, question I have is. Um, are, are you still just completely immersed in these Tristan stories, or have you started thinking about uh, what what might come next? Uh, I, I mean, it's it's a little it's a little of column A, a little of column B. I am still <laughs> surrounded. I love the Tristan universe. I love it so much. Um, but I think every writer will tell you that they, you know. Part of the, the you know part of the 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 onus of being a writer is kind of knowing and thinking about what's going to happen down the line, whether you're working on something new or ha- just have the ideas. Um, because the way that the publishing process works, you know, it, you know this book was finished uh, a year ago, and so you know you you got to start working on something new. The same thing's going to happen when book three comes out. Well, Kwame, thanks again for spending time with me and sharing your stories, not only in the book, but this morning. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. And I hope everyone enjoys Tristan Strong Destroys the World. Take care. That was uh, Kwame Mbalia. He is the New York Times bestselling author of Tristan Strong Punches a Hole in the Sky, the first in the uh, trilogy, for which he received a Coretta Scott King Author Honor Award. The book was also named to Best of the Year lists, compiled by Publishers Weekly, the Chicago Public Library, and the New York Times. The second book in the trilogy is uh, now out, called Tristan Strong Destroys the World. He lives with his wife and children in Raleigh, North Carolina. And... uh, as uh, we discussed, his uh, third book is on the way, so the trilogy is uh, nearly complete. And with that, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. Straight ahead. 
TomSumnerProgram.com The Tom Sumner Program.com Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling authors, photographers and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. 
Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. Take it away. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. National Geographic Kids has a uh, new book out called Girls Can. Uh, they can smash stereotypes, defy expectations, and make history. And it includes interviews with uh, Oprah Winfrey, Nancy Pelosi, and more. And here to talk about that and uh, Girls Can in general is uh, the director of Brain Growth at Equality for Her, a nonprofit organization working toward a more inclusive, compassionate world. Um, her name is Tora Shea Pruden, and Tora joins me by phone. Tora, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. How are you today? I'm doing fine. How did you get connected with uh, National Geographic Kids? Well, um, I was pulled in through a friend of mine, and Marissa and Paige and I just clicked, and we kind of made magic. Um, and and how does that connect? Um, what was your role in, uh, in the book? Well, we, I was a co-writer of the book. So the three of you did this book together, and, and how did that... Uh, how did that come about? Did you uh, meet and put together a list of uh, people that you wanted to talk to and include um, and and then just divide up who would uh, interview or talk to who? Well, first it started with a, um, a list of um, a list of types of we started with like history literature we like we a list of topics and from there we started with a list of names of women throughout history and times that we wanted to include as just um, writing about how they had affected history and just you know their lives and we it took us so long to um you know write down and divvy up their names and figure out who was going to stay in the book and and who who would be eliminated from the list because when we first wrote so so long and you know we had to cross out some names we added more names we just it was so long to figure out you know just how figure out just how we were going to divvy up that list so um, from there, we just kind of had to figure out who we wanted to interview, um, and then we kind of <laughs> split it down the middle. We figured out who was going to write what based off of who had put out which names, and we wrote 
we split it down the middle and split it three ways and that was that was all she wrote <laughs> <laughs> I, I i won't do it to you but i am so tempted to ask about the names that got crossed off um <laughs> no you're gonna make me cry because i'm still sad about it <laughs> well i i won't do that to you but i still have the list <laughs> um do you um do you have any favorite interviews um or or snapshots of history from the book that you can share? Um one of my favorite interviews is Roxanne Gay. Another is Chimamanda's interview. Um she's just one of my idols in general. Um one of the snapshots throughout history. Hmm. Let's see. Um, I keep saying Angela Mao um, because of just how um, truly iconic her. Um, she was one of the first. She was the first kung fu. Um, she was the first kung fu artist to be filmed in over thirty films. Um, Another Sojourner Truth is always just her contribution to history is just unparalleled. Um, it's so hard with with all of the women and all of their contributions. I always feel like um, when <laughs> when I say one, it, it's um, Marsha P. Johnson as well is a her her contribution as a trans rights activist is I, is just unparalleled as well. Um, the, book, <laughs> the book is titled Girls Can to dispel the notion that for some reason um, there was this idea that there were some things that girls couldn't do. And I, I just wonder, in this age of hashtag Me Too and women in the legislature, women in business, women in space, um, if if that that notion that girls can't do that has it gone by the wayside or is it still out there? Um. Well, no, I don't think that it's gone by the wayside. I think that. Uh, girls can't do this is something that we're still being told pretty regularly. I think we're still being slapped in the face with uh, being told that there are things that we cannot do uh, pretty pretty often um, when we uh, I, I when we try to <laughs> when we try, when we I think that there are ceilings that we come up against um, often. Um, anytime that we step outside our homes and we try to walk home at night without the fear of assault, that's something that we can't do. Um, there are things that women and girls cannot do quite often. So I, 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 I would love to say that we live in a world where, where it, it's, free for where women are free to do everything that they choose to without 
without freedom, without, you know, it, any consequences or anyone telling them that, that they cannot do it. But unfortunately, we just do not live in that world yet. And I, that's why I do think that it is necessary for books like this and for programming and for representation to still exist. Um, so more of this, I say. I, I've talked to a lot of um, educators and, and some writers who are are really concerned about um, getting especially young women interested in, in science and math. That's always been something, well, girls don't like science and math, or, you know, that's not something that they they can be good at. Um, and, and yet we've seen proof that that's not true. But is there an element to this book that that encourages young girls um, and young women to um, pursue things that they haven't before, like science and math? Yes, there are definitely elements to the book that tackle stereotypes and myths that girls can't like math and girls don't like science and, um, and breaks those myths and stereotypes down. Um, and, um, and there are also various, um, scientists and mathematicians that are in the, that are highlighted within the book. Um, and that should be very inspiring to, to any girls that read this book and any women that read this book. So, um, but I, I definitely do think that, um, girls in STEM is something that we should, that we should be, um, championing and, and celebrating. Um, and... The book, who is the book written for, and are you a little bit concerned that 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 the title Girls Can um, will will say to some people that this book is for girls only? Um, I think that the book is for anyone that that cares about girls. Um, and I I hope that the impression that it's just for girls um, is not it. While I hope that girls feel like this is for them, um, I, I do love when girls feel like things are for them because I, I love making things for girls. Um, um, I I do hope that they feel like this is special for them. I don't want. I don't want um, boys and um, other gendered persons to feel like this isn't this isn't for them too, because I do want them to read about girls and women throughout history um, and be inspired and know what what girls are capable of as well. And there's even a portion in the book called Boys Can, which is about um, boys feeling like um, they're being confined to boxes and that they can um, be that they can live outside of the stereotypes that are placed on them. So I, I do feel like this is for anybody that cares about girls and and, you know, what that what they can accomplish. And, and it's for women, too, who want to um, read about women throughout history and girl and what they can accomplish. So, you know. Come one, come all. <laughs> More with Torah Shea Pruden straight ahead. Tom Sumner. 
TomSumnerProgram.com The Tom Sumner Program.com You pilots, get off of my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here! It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on! Go on, get out of here! <laughs> 